we now move to the last chapter of the Krishna Arjuna dialogue namely chapter 18 entitled Moksha Sanyasa Yoga that deals with renunciation and liberation Arjuna says to Krishna Lord you have been very kind to tell me many things as i understand it i have to act i have to be detached and also i have to sacrifice but i'm still a bit confused somehow all these requirements appear to me to be mutually contradictory for example if i plunge into action i become fully involved emotionally then how can you expect me to be detached krishna laughs and says arjuna you are just like most of the devotees they barely listen and that too with just one ear so they hardly remember anything of what i say and also understand very little looks like you need one more revision but note this is the very last time everyone is itching to fight and we can't postpone war too long you must make a clear distinction between attitude and form you seem to think that only a sanyasi wearing ochre robes and all that can be detached detachment is an attitude and the ochre robe is part of a particular appearance attitude and appearances need not always go together There may be a person who is dressed like a sanyasi but does that mean he is detached internally mental detachment that is the important factor why do you think a sanyasi alone can be detached mentally why can't you a soldier be detached likewise arjuna protests and says krishna how is that possible i have a wife and children are you asking me to abandon them all Krishna counters Did I ask you to when did I say that you must abandon your duty to your family when did I ask you not to love the members of your family Arjuna continues to argue and says Krishna that precisely is my point in one breath you are asking for detachment and in the very next you say love your family are these not contradictory instructions Krishna sighs and replies Okay I see your problem You are getting mixed up because you are interpreting my advice in a purely worldly manner You have to analyze at a much higher level than you are doing at present To start with you should not imagine that a man who has renounced is like a hard rock or a dry twig He can be detached and yet be full of love and compassion arjuna is surprised and asks how is that possible krishna replies hold on i am coming precisely to that point now have you not heard me say all are one be alike to everyone in the case of the person who suffers from attachment he certainly loves his family though perhaps in a worldly sort of way but what about others does he love them like he does the members of his own family never arjuna interjects 
Krishna be reasonable? How is that ever possible? Krishna replies, Why not? Just look at me. Don't I love all? Am I not the same to everyone? Don't dismiss this by saying, Oh, you are different, etc. Everyone, yourself included, can emulate me in loving all and being alike to all. No question about that. Just that most people don't want to. They say, What's there in it for me? This is the bane of humanity. Selfishness. Utter selfishness. So you see, Arjuna, you can do your duty, you can love all, and you can also serve all. Do all this without fear or favor. Regard everyone as just yourself. When you are thirsty, you have a drink. When you see someone else thirsty, imagine that you are thirsty yourself and give that person some water. See how happy that person becomes. Feel that happiness and become happy yourself. It is not at all difficult. See me in all and help all. People don't try this simple method and on top of it give all sorts of lame excuses for not trying. This brings me to the subject of action and the various ways in which it can be performed. You see, Arjuna, in the end, it all boils down to action. What one must take care is to engage in proper action all the time. That is what living life properly is all about. Thinking is a kind of action. It is action at the mental level. Speech is another kind of action. It is action at the verbal level. Obviously, one cannot think one thing and say quite the opposite. You understand that, of course. And finally, there is physical action carried out using the body. Associated with each type just mentioned are five factors. They are 1. The overall personality of the doer. 2. The doer's body. 3. The doer's senses. 4. The physical effort put in by the doer. And 5. Destiny. Yes, in the ultimate analysis, it is destiny that decides who will do what, when, why and where. It is common to recognize and accept the role of the first four of the above. But not everyone concedes the role of destiny. When they are successful, such people take all the credit. But when failure haunts them, they blame it on God. It is all due to attachment to one's body, also called body consciousness or ego. True renunciation is giving up this attachment and body consciousness. A short while ago, you said that you do not want to fight. Why? You argued that fighting meant that you would have to kill your cousin, your grandfather and so on. Your cousin is your cousin on account of your body. Similarly, Bhishma is your grandfather on account of a bodily relationship. True, 
these relationships exist and must be respected but only to a point when that limit is crossed you must no longer allow such relationships to come in the way of the duty you are required to perform the duty dictated to you by the atma overrides every other consideration in other words god must always be priority number 1 if father comes in between you and god god must be followed and not the father this precisely is the lesson that the story of prahlada and hiranyakashipu teaches so it is in every case arjuna pleads krishna please make it simple tell me in simple language how a person without body consciousness as you call it and faced with the problem i am having would act krishna replies well such a person would say i am a soldier because destiny has willed it be so that very same destiny has brought me here to fight on the side of dharma true over there i see my guru grandfather cousins etc but all those relationships are connected with the body dharma is god and god is dharma therefore my duty to dharma overrides all other considerations if i have to fight all my relatives for the sake of dharma then so be it destiny has decided this to be my role and i cannot back out arjuna it all comes back to knowing clearly what your duty is and then performing it to the best of your ability without any other consideration including of success appreciation reward and so forth let me now turn to certain subtle aspects of action that i have not mentioned so far here also many factors are involved they are one the knowledge of the person involved in the action two the action itself and three the nature of the person performing the action thanks to the play of the gunas and the combination of these factors just mentioned one gets a wide variety a satvic person always tries to see unity in diversity that is to say the knowledge base of this person and his motivation for action are both shaped by his desire to see unity in diversity the person of rajasic temperament is just the opposite his vision is clouded by ego pride ambition attachment and also greed the net result is that he keeps on seeing only diversity even when there is unity as for the tamasic person how at all can one talk about his knowledge steeped in ignorance wallowing in sloth his perceptions are extremely superficial consequently his actions are frequently irrational often born out of sheer pig-headedness so much for the knowledge aspect that triggers action let me now say a few words about the actions performed by these three types starting with the satvic type i am sure you would even without my mentioning it guess that his actions would be gentle in accordance with the scriptures 
and performed with love and compassion they would in general reflect the virtues that are an ornament to man the radsik chap is of course a live wire bursting at the seams as they say with energy that is because he is ever driven by self interest and selfishness ambition is a great driving force you know but invariably it lands one in deep trouble and this people forget that is what maya is all about people refuse to see what is to be seen and insist on seeing what does not exist given the selfish nature of the radsik person it should be no surprise that he is ever ready to trample on the feet of other people the actions of a tamasic person are rash reckless and absolutely foolhardy but that should not come as a surprise now about the doer of the action i have already described the three types in several contexts and shall therefore be brief the satvik goes about performing tasks in a cool and collected manner accepting whatever is the outcome as god's will driven as he is by ego the radsik person exhibits brashness while engaged in action not for him the virtues of humility and politeness he is happy when successful and becomes depressed when he fails the tamasic person is totally unorganized lacks even elementary discipline and is vulgar and stubborn he is so rash that he does not even bother whether his actions would cause harm to him as if all this is not enough he can also be deceitful krishna says to arjuna thus far i told you many things about how gunas affect behavior let me now move on to how buddhi operates in these three types of people if at all the buddhi of a satvik person is generally sharp because he makes good use of it he can clearly distinguish between good and bad what ought to be done and what ought not to be the radsik person is a tragic figure really in his heart he knows for sure what is right and what is wrong in fact he wants to do the right thing but so powerful is his ego and so strong is his ambition that he ends up doing the wrong thing making it worse by justifying it with untenable excuses as for the tamasic person the fool that he is he does not know even the elementary difference between right and wrong thus he has no compunction about hurting others cruelty comes easily to him actions are closely linked to the convictions that people have people are so much influenced by their capacity for understanding belief and faith all these add up to conviction one might say what is the meaning of understanding what is it that one must understand in the context of action well one must understand clearly what is right and what is wrong once one is clear about this 
one can make sure that one's actions are in conformity with dharma this is where understanding becomes important obviously the understanding of a satvic person is good and that is why he shines in society as a pillar of dharma by contrast the understanding of a rajasik person is a bit clouded he imagines he is free to do what he pleases little realizing that the law of karma would bind him to the consequences of his actions as for the tamasic person where is the question of his having any understanding when he is deep in the darkness of ignorance now about the quest for happiness as you know arjuna everyone wants to be happy and seeks happiness in his own particular way there is a deep and fundamental reason why man wants to be always happy you see man has come from me and i am the embodiment of bliss no wonder then that man too wants to be blissful always but unfortunately man does not quite understand what bliss really means much less where to look for it indeed this is the root cause of most of man's problems in the end almost everyone ends up with counterfeits bliss comes when you become united with god that is your heart it cannot be found in the outside world as people mistakenly imagine despite being told any number of times that they are wrong that is the tragedy of mankind let me amplify the world is full of things that attract and promise pleasure but they are all nothing but sugar coated poison the satvic man is careful guided by his buddhi he opts for things that most consider bitter the satvic man does not mind he forgoes worldly pleasures for the sake of pleasing god and in the end he reaps huge benefits in short what starts off as honey turns poison in the end and what seems like bitter neem turns out finally to be nectar this truth the satvic person understands the rajasik fellow goes after pleasure consciously he firmly believes that life is meant for enjoyment and nothing else and that life would be a waste if one did not seek pleasure sense gratification thus becomes an important goal for him needless to say that in the end he pays heavily too but by then it is too late to become wise i don't think i have to spell out the attitude of the tamasic fellow arjuna man is given the opportunity for pleasure on earth on account of good deeds performed earlier it is foolish to waste past merit by falling for this bait misery that people complain so much about is the treasure for the future accumulate merit do not exhaust it welcome misery add to your merit and use it to come to me you can then be happy and blissful forever arjuna all along 
I have in one manner or the other been telling you about how to sanctify action. Life is one unending sequence of actions and if these are sanctified then you will go where you really ought to. But unfortunately the journey to God is not smooth because the gunas come in the way as roadblocks. That is why I have spent time explaining various nuances of the gunas. After a long spell of silence, Arjuna now speaks. He says, Krishna, all that you say is theoretically very nice, but I really can't see how many of the mundane things we do in day-to-day life can be sanctified. Take breathing for instance. Everyone breathes all the time. You say, sanctify time. Well, how do I sanctify the act of breathing which I do non-stop? Krishna smiles and says, I am glad you have asked this question. Let us examine this breathing process. There are two steps, inhalation and exhalation. Agree? Now, examine a bit further and focus on the sounds generated during these two steps. During inhalation, the sound that is generated is so. And likewise, During exhalation, the sound generated is hum. Thus, the two sounds are so and hum. What do they mean? So means that. And what exactly is that? It is God. Hum means I. Putting these two together, you get the message, I am that or God. Just think about it. Your body, through divine dispensation, is giving you this message that you are God 21,600 times a day. Does anyone ever take even a minute off to focus on this message and its significance? No. You asked me how to sanctify the breathing process. Well, just slowly breathe in and then slowly breathe out. Concentrate on the sounds generated and on their inner meanings. If you did this, then you would be sanctifying the breathing process. Arjuna, it is all a matter of thinking and trying. If you really wanted to, and if you really felt that God is everything, you would automatically start associating me with every act you do. You might do it consciously or unconsciously, That does not matter. The fact that you are associating every work with God and doing it for His pleasure is all that matters. In short, the simplest way of sanctifying time is to think always of God. Believe that everything you do is for God and finally offer everything to God. Now tell me, what is the difficulty in doing all this? I don't see any difficulty at all. Just that people don't want to be bothered about all this and would instead like to entertain themselves in all possible stupid ways. I am not responsible for such irresponsible behavior. Arjuna is lost in thought hearing this. Dimly he hears the voice of Krishna and snaps to attention. 
he hears Krishna saying, Arjuna, time is getting along. Everyone is waiting and I had better wrap up. In life, everyone without exception must do his or her duty properly, consciously and with dedication to the station one is born. One should not quit saying, No, this is not for me and things like that. The rule is, you must like what you are doing rather than trying to do what you like. If, say, everyone in a kingdom want to be the king, what would happen to that kingdom? Society needs all kinds of people and that is why God in His infinite wisdom has created diversity. Diversity serves a purpose. However, the individual being always in harmony with this external diversity must also act in harmony with the underlying unity. That is the divine principle. You have been born a soldier and you must do your duty as a soldier. You can't suddenly quit talking like a sannyasi. Rather, you must have the detachment of a sannyasi and do your duty like a soldier. Understand? In other words, no matter in what situation life places a person, as a farmer, a teacher, a housewife or whatever, the person must do the duty appropriate to that situation but in conformity with the dictates of the Atma. That is what Atma Dharma is all about. And that is the essence of what I have been telling you all along. By the way, do you know something? You protest that you would not fight. Let us say you did go on strike and the war started without you. You know what would happen? In five minutes, you would pick up your bow and arrows and enter the battle. You know why? Because of your gunas. Being a soldier is in your blood. That is why you have been born a soldier. I know about your gunas and that is why I have given you this part in my cosmic drama. So my dear Arjuna, understanding that this is all a drama, a cosmic drama to be precise, and realizing that you are merely a puppet in the hands of God in this unfathomable drama, go out there and do your duty as you ought to. This is what every single person ought to do every single moment. Duty, duty, duty. It is to teach you how to do your duty that I have come down as man and am performing duties all the time even though I really have no duty to perform. Arjuna, I think I have said all that is necessary. It is now up to you. The ball is in your court. Just remember, most blessed you are for I have revealed to you the greatest of truths and explained the greatest of mysteries. Once more, fix your thought on me, be devoted to me, worship me and offer everything you do to me. By so doing, you shall come to me without fail. This is my solemn promise to you, for you are truly dear to me. I have said many things and you might even be confused. 
so I shall make it absolutely simple. Don't bother if you do not understand spiritual philosophy. Just take total refuge in me. Surrender fully to me. And just keep doing what you have to. I shall take care of all the rest. This I assure you. Arjuna, what I have said to you is most profound. It is not merely meant for you, but indeed for the whole of mankind and for eternity. It is my message to man. He who listens to this and follows it is dear to me. He who spreads this message is also dear to me. All those who follow my message would be liberated from evil and rise to the world of the virtuous. O Partha, have you listened to all that I have been saying with an attentive mind? What do you intend to do now? Arjuna replies with great humility, Lord, by your grace, my ignorance has been destroyed. My doubts have got dispelled and I now understand what precisely my duty is. I vow that I shall do precisely as you command. As Krishna's immortal exhortation comes to a close, Sanjaya tells the blind king Dhritarashtra, This is the wonderful conversation between God and man that I have been privileged to hear and report to you. I am filled with ecstasy and blessed indeed I am to have seen and heard it all. O King, know this to be true. Where there is Krishna and where there is Arjuna, there, be rest assured, would one find victory, prosperity, glory and justice. Indeed, this would be so in all places and at all times. When the end is good, and so are the means for achieving that end. For a good end means God, while good practices mean the observance of dharma. God is dharma, and it is by adhering to dharma alone that one can reach God. One who strays from dharma will ultimately perish, though he may appear to succeed in the interim. This, O King, is the essence of God's message to man.